Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Our goal tonight is to get to 13 and 14. I'm not sure we will because there's 72 verses (laughs) in chapter 14. But um, let's begin by looking at the first four verses of Mark chapter 13. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, See what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. Now, Mark is the only one that tells us here that it was four disciples that asked him privately on the Mount of Olives, that it gives their names. We don't find it in Mark, and we don't, uh, I mean in Matthew, and we don't find it in Luke. It tells us it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And uh, in reference to this portion here, we're talking about um, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. And um, we'll get into more of that as we talk about um, the abomination of desolation. And we're gonna discover that there's not a, a chronological order of these events. And I'll try to point them out as we go through this. So what's unique here, um, we're told, one of his disciples asked, and then we're told in the other gospel accounts that there was um, disciples. But here Mark comes right out and says, no, there were four, and they were Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And then Jesus answered them, and he began to say, take heed that no one, now this next verse is gonna go from verse five through uh, 23. Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. Sounds like Haiti. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to counsel, and you will be beaten in the synagogue, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand, or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given to you in that hour, Speak that, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother will betray brother to death, a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. But when the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where he ought not, let the reader understand, 
Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him who is on a housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field uh, not go back to get his garments. And woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight will not be in winter in Wisconsin where you get two feet of snow in one day. <laughs> oh no, that's not in there. And in those days there will be tribulation such as not been from the beginning of creation which God created until the time never shall be. Now I'm gonna stop right here and deal with those, because of the verses one through four, that clearly is about the destruction of the temple. See this temple? Not one stone is gonna be left upon it. And therefore they conclude that what we're reading next all happens in, in that 70 year period of time. And the reason that there's no way that can happen is because of what we just read. For in those days there will be tribulations such as not been from the beginning of creation. Well, over 100,000 Jewish people died when the Romans came in 70 AD. But more than that happened in the Holocaust. And it's gonna be worse. So what we don't want to think of here This is clearly yet future. But the Lord started talking about the abomination of desolation and a time that has never been nor will ever be. Clearly, that was not 70 AD. All right, let's go on. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. All right, let's um, begin by looking at um, this verse where it says in verse 18, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. And that um, uh, the question And what I'm going to put up on the screen is um, where do they flee to? So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 16. And while we're doing that, I'm going to put two pictures up on the screen. I'm going to let you get to Isaiah first of all. So the question is, where do they flee to? Um, In Isaiah chapter 16... Verses one through four. This, what you're looking at, is this, um, a picture of of Petra. All those uh, rooms are carved out of solid stone. Uh, there's another one of the amphitheater. Petra usually you just see the picture. Um, we've given many a Bible study in that amphitheater, and um, Petra is huge, and. I believe this is when the Lord says, when you see the abomination of desolation, then flee um, to this place that he has prepared for them. It's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 16, the first four verses. Let's read them. It says, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness. Now Selah and Petra are one and the same. To the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. Now this is a very 
picturesque way of saying, uh, pray that your flight's not in the winter, pray that you're not um, pregnant, and um, because when this event, the abomination of desolation is seen, run for your life. Here is described as a wandering bird that's just thrown out of its nest. In this case, the Jewish people leaving um, Jerusalem. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the forge of the Arnon. Then he says, take counsel, execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. And then he said, hide the outcast. This is a reference to those that are fleeing. So he's asking Jordan, will you hide my outcast? Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Well, that's modern day Jordan. So uh, Jordan in ancient times was called Moab. Selah is, uh, Petra is in the country of Jordan. And then it says, be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. The spoiler here is a reference to the Antichrist who declares himself to be God. Uh, Second Thessalonians tells us that he goes into the temple, demands to be worshiped. It says, shelter them from the face of the spoiler. Well, Revelation 12, if you're taking notes, tells us that when um, Satan is cast down from heaven, he knows he has a short time, and he goes to make war with the woman. And he goes after the Jews that are hiding out in Petra, but the Lord supernaturally protects them. That's Revelation 12, if you're taking notes, the last five verses of chapter 12. Um, For the extortioners at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed in the land. So here we have um, the where. Um, Let's look at when this event takes place. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 9. So we know the where. Let's look at the when. These are pretty familiar scriptures to most of us here. Verse 27, we'll just look at one. There's a gap between verses 26 and 27. Uh, 26 is, is when Jesus was cut off. It says Messiah will be cut off. We know that that happened um, 2,000 years ago. But verse 27 is still yet future. The he goes back, and we talked about this, I think it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, refers to the people of the prince who is to come. That um, means that the Antichrist has to come from Europe. The he is a reference to that person, the prince, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. We don't know who the Antichrist is, and the only way that anybody will know for sure is when some person signs a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. But then it says, in the middle of the week. Now this is a term that is sliced up a lot of different ways in the book of Revelation. It's a seven-year period of time from Revelation chapter six to the end of what we call the, um, the great tribulation period. And in the middle, um, it's three and a half years. Sometimes it says 42 months, sometimes it says 1,260 days, sometimes it says time, times, plural, 
and half a time. Just so many different ways of saying the same thing. And I believe the Holy Spirit is stressing that he wants us to know this is a very significant event. And I'll show you just a little while um, when we talk about the second coming, um, when we get to chapter 12. That's coming up a little bit. So to answer the question, when, when Jesus say, says flee, when do you flee? Well, you flee in the middle of that seven-year period of time. So this is still yet future. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter 13. Right after um, the events, three and a half years later, we're going to have the second coming. So verses 24 through 27 is verses that deal with the second coming of the Lord. It says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in heaven will be shaken, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest parts of the earth to the farthest parts of heaven. This happens in Revelation 19, and um, it talks about the Lord having a sword come out of his mouth and destroy those nations that are gathered together against him. If you're taking notes, you will write down Psalm 2 as a reference. Um, but where I'm going to take you for a cross-reference is turn to the book of Hosea. Where is Hosea, you say? It's what, part of the Minor Prophets. Um, it's right after the book of Daniel. So if you find Daniel, the next one over is Hosea, and I want you to go to chapter five. And the last verse of chapter five is directed to the nation of Israel. And he says to them, I'm going to return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense and then they, <clears throat> excuse me, then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will diligently seek me. Well, in order to return to a place, that means you have, had to leave there in the first place. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? So where did the Lord come from? Well, he came from heaven. He came to earth. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. But then he says, I'm going to return back to my place. And then he says, the reason, until you acknowledge your offense. Notice that it's not uh, plural, but it's singular. In other words, one offense. The nation of Israel had one major offense. And that's the Gospel of John, verse 11. He came into his own, and his own received him not. So their offense was not recognizing their savior. And in Luke 19, Jesus says, because you did not know the time of your visitation, the time when I would be here, this is what's gonna happen to Jerusalem. And he prophesies what we just read about that would happen 38 years later when Jerusalem was destroyed. He says, because you didn't know Daniel chapter nine and you didn't recognize the timing. Therefore, I... 
the city of Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by your enemies. And he foretells that event that was fulfilled in 70 AD. Now the first two verses of chapter six. And if you're taking notes, you want to write down this one. Matthew 23, verse 39. These were the final words, parting words that Jesus would give to the nation of Israel. And don't get me wrong, remember the early church was made up of all Jews. All the disciples were Jewish. Um, The first Gentile was Cornelius. Um, But in Matthew 23, verse 39, it says, For I say to you, you will see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Israel will not see Jesus again until they call out to him and say, Lord, help. And it says they will do it in verse 15 while they're in their affliction. Well, where are they? They're hiding out in Petra. And verse, I don't think there should be a separation in chapters here. It's a continuing thought. I personally believe uh, verse 15 should be verse one because they say, come and let us return to the Lord. How are they saying it? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For he has torn, but he'll heal us. He has stricken, he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So what happens here, and Peter talks about one day as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. This is one of the places where I do make a direct connection. When it says a day, I believe it's a little thousand year period of time. How long has it been since the Lord was here? Well, roughly two, two days, 2,000 years. But then what does it say on the third day? This is now entering into the millennial kingdom. What's gonna happen? On the third day, he'll rise us up and we will live in his sight. The same group of people that survived called on the Lord. When they call on the Lord, the Lord returns. We could really get sidetracked here by going to Isaiah 61 and um, where he treads out uh, the vineyard. Um, But because there's 72 verses in chapter 14, we gotta be selective. So this verse right here, one and two, is them literally fulfilling the Lord saying, you're not gonna see me again until you say blessed, until you call upon me. And they call upon Jesus as their Messiah and he responds and that was 2,000 years ago. And the third day, um, uh, meaning the millennium is how long? Exactly, 1,000 years. So connect the dots there. All right, let's go back to uh, Mark 13. In verse 28 it says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. So you also, when you see these things happen, know that it is near, even at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Matthew talks about all Bible prophecy in the same parable. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Well, um, the fig tree is uh, 
um, a picture of, of uh, Israel budding and bringing forth its sleeves and becoming prosperous. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is important that if you're taking notes, you also want to mark down Matthew 24 and um, get, gets a more complete picture of, let me just find it real quick here. Matthew 24. Learn this parable of the fig tree when the branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, know that it's near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will on no means pass away till all things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. So we have the budding of the nation of Israel. If you're in Ezekiel 36, um, I'm just going to read verses 8 through 12. It's talking about when Israel comes back into the land. Isaiah, if you're taking notes, 11, verse 11 says, when he gathers them again the second time. Well, when was the first time? The first time was when they came back from one nation, Babylon. They were there for 70 years. But here it talks about them coming back from the nations, plural, and they're gonna come back to a land that was desolate, but it's not desolate anymore, but it's very, very prosperous and wealthy. So let's pick it up in verse eight. Um, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches. Again, tying that into the parable uh, of of the fig tree. And yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel on it, and the city shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon your men and best uh, and beasts, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginning, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. Yes, I will cause men to to walk on you, my people Israel, they shall take possession of you, and you shall be their inheritance, no more shall you bereave them of their children. So jump down to verse, oh, let's see, 33 and through 36. Thus says the Lord God, on that day that I cleanse you from your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. And so they will say, the land that was desolate will become like the Garden of Eden and the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Um, It's interesting that... um, I don't know how Trump's going to do on his, his wall, but what was just on the news a couple of nights ago is that they're building a wall separating Israel from the Gaza Strip, the whole length of Gaza, because of, of the rioting and everything that's taking place. There's, that's a done deal. All right, last verse here. Then the nations which are left around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined cities and planted what was desolate I, the Lord, have spoken it, 
and I will do it. So you just have to ask an honest question. It's been 70 years since May 14th, 1948. Israel came back, swamp lands, desolate, and when Mark Twain was there, he wrote about it, he says, why would anybody want to go to this place? All I saw were sheep eating rocks. And that's all it was, it was ruins, it was desolate. And what do they have there today? The eighth largest economy in the world, or is it the eighth most powerful army in the world? I think it's the eighth most powerful army in the world, but also their economy, uh, we're getting our technology from them to help with our computer systems here. That's how advanced they are. I don't have to mention, again, Leviathan natural gas find with its 22 trillion cubic feet of natural gas and the oil that's just been discovered on the Golan Heights. And when we go to Israel, places like Sakhni and um, the northern parts of Israel are absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, like the Garden of Eden. When we go to Sakhni, it reminds me of the Garden of Eden just because how, how, how beautiful it is. All right, let's go back to, um, that's the parable of the fig tree. Has it budded? Well, either it, has, either it has or it hasn't. And as I look at Israel today, it's beautiful, it's prospering, and it's powerful. All right, let's go to 32 through 37. Um, the exhortation now to watch. But of that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Now that's an important verse, and I'll show you why in a second. It's like a man going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So, this can only be a reference to the rapture of the church, and an exhortation to the church to be found uh, watching. Let's go back to Daniel, quickly. I just want, I want to go to um, two verses, one in Daniel 9 and one in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 9 and verse 25 is significant because it tells us, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, that would be Jesus the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Well, um, it's a lengthy study and I can't get into it except to say that the starting point of this is, um, in, if you're taking notes, Nehemiah, all of chapter two. And that's the starting point. Uh, to count off um, a period of 173,880 days this is the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. 69 of them have been fulfilled. And they were fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. And we know to the very day, it would have been April 6, 32 AD, 
when he allowed himself to be worshipped. So it can't be the rapture, it can't be um, the first coming of the Lord because we know to the day when that should have been. Matter of fact, the Lord held them accountable. He says, this is gonna happen to you because you weren't reading Daniel and um, uh, you missed the time of your visitation. So we know the timing of the first coming. But remember I said it's a very major marker in the Bible when this event takes place in the middle of the tribulation called the abomination of desolation. And the Lord even verifies it, calls Daniel a prophet, and he says, whosoever reads, let him understand. They're in parentheses. So if you go to chapter 12, the last two verses of Daniel's book, the people during the tribulation are the Jewish people because of the witness of the 144,000 and the two witnesses, I believe to be Moses and Elijah, they're gonna be explaining the book of Revelation. And we read here in verse 11 of chapter 12, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away. Well, what, what is that? That's the abomination of desolation. And the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335th day, but you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and you'll rise to your inheritance at the end of days. So what is this saying? All right, the abomination of desolation has just happened. Daniel here says 1,290 days later, what, I thought though Dwight, it was supposed to be 1,260. We have a discrepancy here of some 40, 40, 45 days. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 25. When the Lord does return, when Israel calls upon him, he responds, and then it says he's going to judge the nations. So if you're in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate one from the other as the sheep divides from the goats. So when the Lord returns, you're gonna have people who took the mark of the beast. You'll have people who are hiding out, um, like during the time of Romans in like the catacombs. So you'll have people that are alive who didn't take the mark of the beast, that are Christian, and you'll have people who took the mark of the beast and worshiped him. Now we have to do some judging. Evidently, the Lord comes at 1,260 days, but we have this period of time here where he's got to do the separation. Evidently, it's going to take that 45 days. So that's why it's 1,290 instead of 1,260. And after that, it says, blessed is he who comes to the 1,335th day. I think that's what it was. Anyway, it's that period of time. Then you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because you get to enter into the next 1,000 years and rule and reign with the Lord. But this is, uh, let's make it personal law for us. I see the church going to sleep. Not you, <laughs> but I gotta tell you, I was so tired today after, after this snow. I, I, said, I told Joshua, if I fall asleep during the Bible study tonight, will you come on up and finish it off? Because I am beat. <laughs> 
Anybody else sore from shoveling besides? <laughs> but it says, watch. And that's what we read back here in um, Mark 13, the very last thing. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Well, if it's as late as I think it is, then we should be, there should be certain signs appearing. We should be looking for, the Bible says that there's going to be a one world religion. So you want to give you an amen on that? The Bible says there's going to be a one world government. And that's clearly Revelation 17 and 18. All right, just take a moment and look down at your news bites. Just stop what you're doing and uh, grab your news bites. If it's as late as I think it is, then we should be seeing signs of um, religions putting down their doctrinal distinctives and we should be looking at any clues out there that there might be a gathering together for a one world. For those of you watching live stream, I'll just read it for you. It's a picture of Pope Francis and the Muslim Amman signing an interfaith covenant. The title is Push for a One World Religion. And gang, when I read that, my jaw dropped. And your jaw should drop too. Why? Because the Lord says, watch. <laughs> watch for what? Are there any signs out there that things are m- moving towards a one world government and a one world religion? And remember I said, no man knows the day of the hour. It can only be the rapture. Now let's just think about the reality of the rapture. Where hundreds of millions of people are gone, just like that. And I, I was not the first one that had the strong conviction. I got it from Dave Hunt. And he just said it's just logical. The removal of millions of people um, from planet Earth will force a one world religion, will force a one world government. Uh, they'll be in such a state of shock of what has just taken place, it's just uh, the Antichrist will make his move and he'll say, I'll bring peace to this. And, um, and I believe that's when uh, the rapture will bring about both of these things. And I thought it was interesting that Mary found this and it was our front headline tonight. Push for a one world religion by the Pope. By the way, the one world religion, according to um, Revelation 17, is the city of seven hills, and it is a reference to Rome, right where the Pope is. I guess we will make it into 14. Okay, as we get into chapter 14, it is the longest chapter. It is a complete change of thought because this was mostly 13 prophetic, dealing with the destruction of the temple, the abomination of desolation, the second coming, uh, the rebirth of the nation of Israel, and the rapture of the church. Now the rapture of the church is, of course, before the second coming, and so we do not have a chronological order if you're taking notes in Mark chapter 13. Now, in Mark chapter 14, look, there's 72 verses. If, if you're taking notes, it sort of lays out as an outline like this. Verses one and two, the chief priests and scribes, they plot to kill Jesus. Uh, verses three through nine, Mary of Bethany pours ointment upon the head of Jesus. 10 and 11, Judas plans to betray Jesus. 
12 to 25, Jesus prepares for the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. Uh, Verses 26 to 31, Peter pledges his allegiance. In verses 32 to 42, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verses 43 to 52, Jesus is placed under arrest. 53 to 65, Jesus is put on trial before the Sanhedrin. And verses 66 through 72, Peter protests that he does not know Jesus. All right, verses one and two. Now, after two days, it was the Passover. And the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Now remember, people would have been gathered from all over the world in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. The Passover was observed on the 14th day of the first month, which is the Jewish month of Nisan, and it corresponds to our April. Now, in the 14th day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. Um, If you're taking notes, uh, this comes from Leviticus 23, uh, verse five. I went back and read it, and this is where it tells us what day Passover was to be held on from Leviticus. Then the Feast of Unleavened Bread was on the 15th day on the same month, and it continued for seven days thereafter. And on the 15th day of the same month, the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread, Leviticus 23, verse six. It was the intention of these 11 rulers to take Jesus at the end of the Passover season after the crowds would have left Jerusalem and then put him to death. All right, let's look at verses three through nine. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? It might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. And the Lord said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, here it is this night, uh, this woman, what she did will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. Well, it happened at, at Bethany. When the Lord would come to Jerusalem, he often stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. When we read about Mary, without exception, she's always sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to him. And we contrast her with Martha, who was always too busy. And one time she got upset, And she said, Lord, Mary's doing nothing. She's just sitting around reading her Bible, listening to you. Tell her to help me. And um, the Lord says, no. 
Mary has chosen that better part. And the reason I bring that up is she, she, not the disciples, when the Lord told the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be betrayed, killed, and then rise again the third day, what's the very next thing that James and John do? They start arguing who's gonna be (laughs) on your right hand and left hand when we get to Jerusalem. Right over the head. Why? They weren't listening. Okay, who was listening? Mary. Oh, Lord, you're gonna die? And she was taking it in, and to her credit, she heard the the Lord, and that's why she's doing this thing here. And... um, we're talking about her tonight after all these years, just, just like the Lord said it would happen. So this Mary here would have been the Mary for Mary and Martha. All right, 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. So when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now this Mark's account of this Here we're told that um, Judas was the one that said, hey, what's it worth to you? Uh, What will you give me for it? Keep your finger here, and I want want to compare this with Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 26, 14, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So here we're told the amount and um, Mark's account just says that um, uh, they were glad and promised to give him money. And um, so he was motivated um, by the money that was offered there. All right, let's keep going. One verse and back to um, um, chapter 14 of Mark. Verse 12, 12 through 16. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to him, where do you want to go and prepare that we may eat the Passover? And so he sent out two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the city and you're gonna find a man you meet, he'll be carrying a pitcher of water, follow that guy. And wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large, large upper room, furnished and prepared there, make it ready for us. And his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and there they prepared uh, the Passover. So the Passover would have been when the sun went down on that evening. So that's, that's how they start their days. When the sun goes down, it begins a new day. So it says in the evening, verse 17, in the evening he came with the 12. 
So that would have been at sundown. Now, 18 through 21, um, now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to one another, is it I? And another said, is it I? And then he answered and said to them, it is the one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. And the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Again, I want to um, add detail again from Matthew chapter 26 because it's more direct and specific and tells us exactly what happened. Matthew 26 Verse 25, um, let's read verse 24. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, this is what Mark doesn't tell us that Matthew does. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it me? And he said to him, you said it. So he comes, Matthew comes right out and tells us here the, that Judas knew, that the Lord knew that he was one who was betraying him. All right, back to chapter 14, and we're just going to look at verses 22 through 25. And this is a Passover meal. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, there are several things that are interesting to point out here. First of all, the Passover cup, when they actually had the meal, went around seven times during the Passover feast. During that time, they would sing one of the great um, hallelujah psalms, Apparently it was the seventh time around when he did not drink, but instituted the Lord's Supper with them. The Lord's Supper now looks back to what he did for us on the cross more than 1900 years ago. So when we take communion, it's commemorating what the Lord did on Passover. He was the Passover lamb. The Passover This is what's interesting about this, but it also looks forward to his coming. The Passover will be restored for the millennial kingdom. Now, um, I'm gonna have you be a Brian, and if you're taking notes, write down Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 21. And I went back and read it, and uh, we we were in 36, 37 and 38, 38 and 39 under the Ezekiel 38 war. But when you get to chapter 40, 
all the way to the end of the book of Ezekiel, the last eight chapters, is detail, extreme detail of events that will take place during the thousand-year millennial reign. And Ezekiel 46.21 talks about the Feast of Passover being celebrated. So check it out. The Passover also looks forward to his coming. The Passover will be restored for the millennial kingdom as we learn in Ezekiel. And the reason for it, I think, is that during the millennium, there will be a remembrance of his coming. When it was, when it was first instituted, it had looked forward to his coming. And um, I can see no reason why it couldn't look forward and also look backwards. Uh, we also read that um, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. All right, let's pick it up. Let's go back to chapter 14 and look at 26. So when they had finished the Passover meal, it says they sang a hymn. I wonder what it must sound like, what the Lord's voice sounds like when he's singing. They went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Now whenever there's a prophecy, remember I like to stop and just point it out. You really can't read a chapter of the Gospels without it saying something exactly like this. So people who criticize Uh, churches that emphasize and teach Bible prophecy, my answer to them is obviously you don't read your Bible. You certainly don't do it chapter by chapter and verse by verse because if you did, you'd be teaching a whole lot of Bible prophecy. Good place for an amen. So what does it say here? This is going to happen to me because in Zechariah 13 verse seven, it says I'm gonna strike the shepherd and the sheep are gonna scatter. Well, what happened that night? They came and took the Lord and they all took off. We're not gonna, we're not gonna get that far, but I, at this point, um, I'm gonna read verse 50. It says, they all forsook him and fled, and then Mark is the only one that mentions this. Now there was a certain young man who followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young man laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Mark would have been about 12 years old at this time, and he's writing about himself. This is not in Matthew, Luke, or John. And um, so the sheep scattering here, here's Mark (laughs) running away, and he doesn't even have his fruit of looms on. he, he, (laughs) He writes about it. But then he says, but after I have been raised... I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, even if all are able, made to stumble, I won't. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you that today, even this night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke even more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. In closing, um, we're, we're going to stop here because it's 8 o'clock. 
And um, I still have some 30 plus verses to go and I don't want to rush them. But here Peter says, not me. Everybody else, I can see them flaking out. But you remember, Lord, I was the one that got the divine revelation. You asked the question, who do men say that I am? I said, you're the Christ. So I'm not gonna deny you now. Well, when you look at verse, he not only denied him, pick it up at verse 70. And this is the third time, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by uh, said to Peter again, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. Your, your, your accent gives you away. But he began to curse and swear. What? Simon Peter cursing and swearing? I'll die first. I will never deny you. Well, the part that we're, unfortunately, I don't, we're gonna quit at is when the Lord goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he takes Peter, James, and John with him and says, I want you guys to pray with me. What happened? Well, they all fell asleep. I believe that Peter meant what he said in verse 31. No way. I will never, ever deny you. But what we learn here, um, he brings up the scripture, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you want to give me an amen on that? Peter didn't want to deny the Lord. I believe he was 100% sincere. But when it came actually to hanging in there and staying awake and praying, couldn't do it because our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. And, and um, what blows my mind here is that he not only denied, but he began to curse and swear. What, Simon Peter cursing and swearing? Yeah, Simon Peter cursing and swearing. And the second time the rooster crowed and Peter called to mind the words that Jesus said to him before, this is something only Mark tells us, he thought about it. He thought about what he just said after he was cursing and swearing. He thought about it, and only Mark tells us that he, here that he thought about it. And Peter uh, called to mind the words that Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. So we'll come back next week and pick it up in, uh, well, not next week, because next week, yeah, two weeks from tonight, we'll finish up um, the Gospel of Mark. I really knew we weren't gonna make it through all 72 <laughs> verses. So let's, let's stand and we'll close with prayer. Oh Lord, two different messages here tonight. One for the church, again, the exhortation to um, not fall asleep, to be one of those wise virgins that kept oil in her lamp and kept watching. And Lord, when we see significant birth pains, the Pope sitting down with the leader of the Muslim world talking about a one world religion, it's gotta cause us just to stand in awe and um, know that the hour is late and that you could come at any time. So Lord, please help us um, when our flesh is weak Our spirit is willing, Lord, but our flesh is so weak and sometimes it can get so tired. Um, So we pray for endurance and perseverance and we thank you, Lord, um, for laying out in chapter 14 the events of Passover, 
prophecy being fulfilled that you would be smitten and as a result the sheep would scatter. Um, Lord, we receive your word that tells us to watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. And as it says, the spirit truly is ready but the flesh is weak. Lord, help us in our weakness. So I pray that you go before us the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you want to give me an amen on that? Peter didn't want to deny the Lord. I believe he was 100% sincere. But when it came actually to hanging in there and staying awake and praying, couldn't do it because our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. And, and um, what blows my mind here is that he not only denied, but he began to curse and swear. What, Simon Peter cursing and swearing? Yeah, Simon Peter cursing and swearing. And the second time the rooster crowed and Peter called to mind the words that Jesus said to him before, this is something only Mark tells us, he thought about it. He thought about what he just said after he was cursing and swearing. He thought about it, and only Mark tells us that he, here that he thought about it. And Peter Uh, called to mind the words that Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. So we'll come back next week and pick it up in, uh, well, not next week, because next week, yeah, two weeks from tonight, we'll finish up um, the Gospel of Mark. I really knew we weren't going to make it through all 72 (laughs) verses. So let's, let's stand and we'll close with prayer. Oh, Lord, two different messages here tonight. One for the church, again, the exhortation to um, not fall asleep, to be one of those wise virgins that kept oil in her lamp and kept watching. And Lord, when we see significant birth pains, the Pope sitting down with the leader of the Muslim world talking about a one-world religion, It's got to cause us just to stand in awe and um, know that the hour is late and that you could come at any time. So Lord, please help us Um, when our flesh is weak. Our spirit is willing, Lord, but our flesh is so weak and sometimes it can get so tired. Um, So we pray for endurance and perseverance and we thank you, Lord, um, for laying out in chapter 14 the events of Passover, prophecy being fulfilled, that you would be smitten and as a result the sheep would scatter. Um, Lord, we receive your word that tells us to watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. And as it says, the spirit truly is ready but the flesh is weak. Lord, help us in our weakness. So I pray that you go before us the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.